This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206 206- 842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. I'm Maria Metzler, the Executive Director of Helpline House. The global pandemic has affected us all differently. If you or your neighbors need food assistance, mental health counseling, rental assistance, or parks and rec vouchers, please reach out. Helpline House can help in many ways. Find us on the web at helplinehouse.org. It's what we do. Neighbor helping neighbor. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. Cracking podcast, Bill. You found the Bystander Podcast. Today, my guest is Matthew from West Coast Radio. What's good, man? Hi, nice to meet you, everybody. Uh, good to be a part of the Bystander Bainbridge Island community. Nice. Um, you lived on the West Coast your whole life? No, I'm a military brat. I've been everywhere. So, you want me to take you through the journey? A little bit. And when you do that, can you also tell me what it, what it was like making friends and relationships? as you were kind of drug around the military gauntlet? Sure, I'll, I'll do that in part B of the answer. So part one is Matthew was born in Texas, Fort Sam Houston, and what I have been told was a haunted hospital. And then uh, I don't remember any of that. I remember Chicago just a little bit, which is where we went afterwards. So my dad, when he was in the military, he broke his back jumping out of an airplane. So that's why there's a couple of places in this story that don't really match up because they're not military hotspots, but he spent a little bit of time reserves and civilian work, like splitting both time when he was uh, when his back was messed up. So we go from Texas to Chicago. He does some civilian stuff, uh, and then we go to Washington. We spend a couple of years there. Go to North Carolina. Nine eleven happens, and I'll never forget this. As soon as nine eleven happened, uh, the phone rang. I mean, boom! And then somebody said, "You're going back active duty. No, there's no more of this reserve stuff. You're going back active duty." And then my dad said, all right, this is what's going to happen. That took us to Florida. And he, he spent some time in deployment while we were in North Carolina. He gets right back. We go to Florida, does this military thing. 
And then we go to Joint Base Lewis-McChord, which is where I spend uh, um, about 10 years of my childhood. So I'm 25 now. I spent most of my time in Washington up to this point. And to answer your question about socializing, very difficult. I was real short growing up. And um, also the chemicals, my puberty chemicals didn't kick in too quick. So I was short, had a high-pitched voice, and people jumped on that real quick. But it's a beautiful thing because you learn how to adapt. You learn how to get strong. You learn that people tend to appreciate you for being good at things. So from a young age, you put yourself out there. You play sports. You try out for the school musical, which is I did all of those things. And so I learned how to adapt and make friends that way. Uh, also, it made me tough. The bullying, because kids, they want to sniff you out. It's like a dog sniffing. Can I, can I swear? Yeah. You know, it's like a dog sniffing another dude's asshole. So at the time, really, if I look back on it, Nobody ever really beat me up or anything like that, but they would circle around. They would laugh at you. Oh, look how you're different. And you you develop callous if you choose to. And like I said, you have to start to get good at other things, but uh, it was pivotal to my development. It was tough, but I learned how to make friends easily. I learned how to, uh, I think, speak to different people. When you go across the map and you live across the map, you know, to answer long-windedly, you learn that people are different. It's almost a different country, Florida versus Washington. Oh. And so that makes you well-rounded too. And, and you like to travel, right? It's my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. you give me. That was brought up through your family or something you found out later? I do remember just a sense of being incredibly excited before each and every move. And that would turn into being sad and crying, you know, three months after I moved to the new location. I had no friends. People were, you know, saying, hey, this and that about you. But the transition periods were always my favorite. And to this day, being in an airport with a sack of weed, uh, you know, there's nothing better than that. People watching, it's right up there. Yeah, there's, you know, if I got a flight, I'll, I'll take off about four hours early and I'll sit in the New York, Los Angeles and Vegas terminal and just figure out, you know, what are these people doing? Why are they going to Vegas? Just try to play the story out in my head. Nice. Yeah, we go to New York a lot and sometimes we get at JFK and it's name that actor type of thing, you know? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Seeing them in a casual with their babies or their wife, that's not a celeb or vice versa. And, uh, we're like, Oh, I, I, what, who, what movie thing? Uh. <laughs> and also it's the way they dress too. people from New York and LA. They dress like people on TV. And, uh, you know, if I were to watch, if I were to watch Matthew McConaughey do some of his, e-entertainment interviews and i would see the way he dresses he makes it look cool but i would be like i'm never wearing that stuff and then when you go to newark and la in the in the airport you see people who actually dress like that and you go oh man it's not just on tv right i hear there's going to be some dress codes for kids for their zoom school from home and i'm oh like, my goodness why is this even a point why can't you wear your pokemon pajamas if you're going to be sitting at home you know learning Sure. And, and these teachers, they're a year behind. I mean, are you telling me these kids, they haven't spread the information around as how to loop yourself on video? So you just show up like this, you loop the video for six hours, and uh, you never have to go to class. I mean, my goodness. And did you also hear about all the porn? It was that? Did you hear about all the porn terrorism that's going on in virtual classrooms? I've, I've seen some Zoom bombing, and it's highly <laughs> offensive. It's horrible. It, but you know what? You get 13-year-old kids who have been in isolation for six months. At the first sign that they can talk to their friends and make some ruckus, they're going to do it. They're going to say, hey, let's post our password on 4chan. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's always the kid that is bored with school and 
and tries to make a joke and make everybody laugh at him. How's that going to change in the Zoom? Other than now the teacher's going to have a recording and be able to send that straight to your parents. What does getting suspended look like in the Zoom classroom age? What can they do? Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. <laughs> well, what was your um, college life at Seattle U like? Was that a good experience for you? It's a Jesuit school. Um, that's different for some people. It's, um, you know, it's not the UW, but it's centrally located in Seattle and um, very, very cool school, I think. I'm very proud of it. And the honest truth is Seattle U was the very best that I could do academically. And the reason for that is I can't sit in a classroom. I can't sit in a chair. And I think the group think there are some things I learned in college that really helped me, I think, as a developing human being. But the group think gets to you. And it could, also, I think college really tries to, to stab and kill the child inside of you so that you can go into the corporate world and just, you know, do you think? Because by the time you graduate college, everybody is saying, oh, I was in a communication department. I'm going to do HR at Amazon. I think that sounds good. I think the benefits are nice. You know, oh, yeah, I'd like to have kids. And everything is, is weird like that. So uh, there's that end of college, but I'm very proud of it because it's the absolute best I could do. I failed out of Western Washington University because I wanted to be Howard Stern I had, when I was 18 years old. I didn't want anything to do with college. I wanted to be Howard Stern. But your parents really love you, and they say your life is going to be tough. What if you – what if – one day you have to take care of your wife and you don't have enough money to pay the medical bills or your dog needs surgery. It's two grand, but you didn't go to school and you don't have a backup plan. And now you have to look your wife in the eye and say, I can't pay for this surgery. We got to put the dog down. So now all these things are in my head. I'm going to school, but I have no interest and I can't pay attention. So fail out. Uh, I go to community college after that while I get my first internship at a radio station. And that changed my life. The ability to sit with people. This is a true story. To the left of me is a guy who spent eight years of 18 to 28 or whatever, he spent eight of those years in prison for selling cocaine. He was a math whiz. He could do unbelievable math in his head, but he used that for the powers of evil rather than good. So he's sitting next to me. On the other side is some dude who was a war veteran, but had a terrible alcohol problem. He's about 38. And he would wake up in South Tacoma Way. He told me this a year before I met him, he would wake up on the regular in South Tacoma Way in a gutter you know, just hung over herself from drinking all night. And then behind me is somebody who had a 4.0, could have gone to any state with, could have gone to any college with a full ride, but they had to stay home and take care of their three kids because the mom doesn't have it all together. You know what I mean? Call it that community college experience changed my life forever. Those people took me under their wings and they didn't see me as a loser. They saw me as somebody with talent and they said, listen, you're going to have to take care of this schooling, but I understand your dreams. And here's where you can learn from my mistakes, but also follow your dreams as well. You have to cover every angle. At the same time, I was working at a rate. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No worries. Um, what, how do you feel about the idea of community college or two-year universities being free to the public? I think that would be wonderful. I also think that we don't necessarily have to go that drastic right out the gate. How about maybe instead we do $50 a credit or maybe we do $10 a credit, maybe ease that transition a little bit. Also, for Christ's sakes, why do we have $5 million gyms in our, in our colleges? I think we have to strip down a ton so that that makes sense for universities. There's not a ton of overhead costs on things like expensive gyms, expensive programs um, that aren't necessary. Some, some, you know, some steakhouses, some universities have, have steakhouses, spas, and things like that. Colleges have become a business. We have to really strip it down, and I think that would justify. I'm talking a little bit more about the community college, the base level, the entry level that people that may not have 
you know, the, the skill set to go to a four year or may not have the money to get into a two year degree or a skill set like a vocational skill such as wiring or um, auto shop or, or something like that as a tangible skill. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I apologize. I got off on a, a different tangent. Um, yes, it should be free. Of course it should be free because the ability to sit with people from all different walks of life and all ages, it's really, that was the big yeah. thing for me. I got to go to school with older people who had experienced life and they didn't have the same worry my parents had for me. So they could give me objective advice that changed my life forever. And I wouldn't be talking to you right now if I hadn't gone through that. So it's got, yeah, I, it should be free. It really, really should be free. And if and the only reason I say maybe you should go to $10 a credit at first is if there's going to be a hard fight against something like free school, maybe that would help to ease the transition in a period. Maybe it takes 10 years to get free community college. Well, right now, can we look at $25 a credit instead and ease that transition over? Also, high school's got to bring back trades. That'll, yes. ca- that'll help a lot too. Or at least yeah. the opportunity to have two. When I went to school back in the 80s, we, we had the opportunity and I took it for graphic arts. So I went off to a different um, location than the regular school. And then the three or four high schools in, in our communal area sent kids for vocational training, such as auto shop, graphic arts, electricity, stuff like that, that, you know, hey, I don't want to join the army. I don't want to go to a four-year college, but I need a tangible skill. And you look at these skill sets, you know, we're definitely lacking in, across America oh. for workers to even perform these, these simple tasks. It's, it's, it's really alarming. And something needs to be done. We need to be more efficient. And you want to talk about empowering people. You teach somebody how to, to be a plumber before they get out of college or high school. Right. Not only can they get a job with union benefits, all that stuff, but also you want to talk about side work. In this modern day and age of COVID-19, having the ability, knowing how to do electric, electrical work, knowing how to do HVAC work, knowing how to do car repair, that provides side work as well. That's real empowerment. So I'm all for the free community college. I'm all for getting these programs back into high school again. I think it's criminal that they left in the first place. I want to uh, test your mind a little bit with this thought. I'm sure you've actually thought about it before. Why do you think it is that we don't have free college and free health care? We're a greedy society as a whole. Yeah, but also, like, who's going to join the fucking military if you have free health care and free college? You know... West Coast Radio here and uh, the Bystander Podcast, left coast, west coast. Um, a lot of people that are poor rural areas, you know, that is the ticket out. You know, it's, it's my father. It's not the rap game. It's it's not college. It's it's not working at the local diner in a steel mill town. It's military, and that's that's why they're the biggest employer in the United States is the military. Right, and the military did everything for me. It paid for my school. Yeah, my dad had to go to fucking war for it, but it did pay for my school. It paid for our health care always growing up. It provided us with a great place to live. Growing up on a military base for a while was wonderful. It really was wonderful. You want to talk about within an arm's reach, kids programs, movie theaters, gyms, all this stuff. But at the same time, that life isn't for me. And I, my, my dad, he, he went from trailer park, got free school and all that stuff from the military. And now, you know, I, I live a very, very decent life. I want for nothing. So I'm not going to join the military. And I would imagine people who aren't in a desperate position, those people wouldn't join the military if they didn't absolutely have to. Maybe they don't want to pay for college, so they join. People who are poor, maybe they say, oh, college and, or healthcare and college is taken care of. 
I don't want to go to, I don't want to go across overseas and fight this war that I don't believe in. Uh, that would change a lot of shit. I think that's where they get the tangible skills. Like, okay, you want to learn about aviation, nautical, um, underwater welding and diving, you know, they, they romanticize this stuff, but basically it becomes a two party system that's constantly flooding money into the military system and making these fake wars that we don't need to participate in. And now we're at a stage I know here on in Washington state, I, I believe there's more nuclear bombs out here by Bremerton than anywhere else in the United States. Does that make us the most protected area or the most targeted area in the United States? I don't know. That's what I always say. I always say if there's ever going to be a terrorist attack, people, they go, okay, Los Angeles, I'm talking West coast terrorist attacks, Seattle, you take out Seattle, you also take out Bremerton and JBLM. I mean, we're a, we're a hotspot for that area. Yeah, it's very scary. It's very, and also that idea of nukes, it's ridiculous because what, what nukes means is the first person to press a nuke at this point means that's the end of the world. That's because everybody, Russia's got enough power to blow us back. You know, China's got enough power to, power to real, really cause some damage. So it's, yeah. it's a bizarre thing. I, I can keep going, actually. Yeah, you want to talk about... On and on and on. And you think, okay, did this uh, COVID come out of some laboratory for biological warfare as well? You know, it's like we are constantly putting in money into the defense, but it, it seems like we're putting more money into an attack, you know, that's ill-perceived, I believe. Certainly. Anyway, we can go on and on and on about that. Let's talk about you. What made you decide to start your show and then revamp your show, go solo and go from producer to host. And what are this, what is the vision for West coast radio? Talk radio has always been my thing always. And I remember being little listening to Dr. Laura. I remember watching Howard Stern on TV and being perplexed, but not quite understanding yet. And then when I hit 14, I had found my first Howard Stern YouTube channel on, on YouTube, and it was all of his 90s content. So I clicked the first episode, and before I knew it, it had been, it had been 12 hours, and I had, I had never experienced anything like Howard Stern. Mm. And then when I got to the Artie Lang saga, where Artie came and you had George Takai every now and again on the show, uh, it, it really blew my mind. And the reason for that was I've always been a loner. So I spent a lot of time alone, and I think what Howard Stern did for me was I would forget that I was alone sometimes, and that, that's a really big deal to me. Howard Stern, and he, all, he talks about this too. He talks about this being his goal. He made me feel like I was part of his community, really made me feel like he was in the same room with me. And if there's anything I can do in this world, I, my heart tells me I, that's what I can do as well. Not only would I be, enjoy it enough to go at this every single day if I were to have, have an opportunity to have my own show, but also – I, I, I believe that I was born with the gift to be able to do that. And that's something I don't want to talk about. You know, I'm, I'm real, real good at this, but I, I did start to notice whenever I would audition for a play growing up in school, I would get the lead play and I would start to notice when I would do speeches, I would notice that people, I would pick up on their mannerisms and they'd be real different from when other people were doing speeches. And I knew my inflection was different, but, but I became aware when people would go like this, you would see their shoulders change and stuff. So I knew I had a little something, and then my teachers would start to tell me, oh, you should really do this and that. And then I really got confidence. And then by the time I hit 14, I, there was nothing I, I would rather have done. I knew I was absolutely sure by 14 that I had not only the will, but I had a little bit of that 
whatever you're, you're born with it, whatever that people say, in my opinion. And also as an athlete, I was pretty sure I had the work ethic too. And that would be solidified when I ran my first marathon. After I ran my first marathon, I knew I could work towards anything. So I had started doing podcasts in 2014 when I got my internship at the radio station. That was a bizarre story. I could talk for a long time about my time in Olympia Family Radio. I got in a lot of trouble trying to mix things up, trying to get my own show. But I had started my podcast journey there with Warren, and Warren is the ex-co-host. I'm very sad to say that still. It makes me sad. We had been practicing, but when you put something out there, and I'm sure you've thought about this too, I'd be curious to think your thoughts. When you put something out there, it's forever. And before you make the decision to go all in, you have these thoughts in your head of, well, well, if I need other options, if I need backup plans, if I say something even about smoking pot on the air, I'm fucked. You know, there's no such thing as you're going to be president. It eliminates that possibility right there. You know, things like that. So, and, and that, that creeps in my head. Does that creep through your head? All the time. You know, I, so, I was fair, fallible, and true to thyself, but um, there's shit I want to keep close to the vest for sure. You know, mm-hmm. We're not all and, that's sort of a, it's sort of a balancing line, isn't it? You don't always know exactly what you want to keep close to the vest. At least that's in my experience. Well, how many mistakes have you made with the slip of the tongue? Uh, can we keep this off record? No. There's only one thing. Okay. No, I can't you, tell you. You just say one. Okay. That's the answer. Yeah, I made one. one. I, I think <laughs> I've made one statement. I definitely should pull back. But, you know, it was also in the first dozen episodes, you know. I was talking yeah. about Vietnamese sandwiches, and I wasn't too kind about it. But uh, now looking back at it, I'm like, I'm, I'm a hypocrite. Vietnamese food is probably one of my favorites. And I get Vietnamese sandwiches all the time. And I've never had dog in it. Okay, I'll, t- I'll, tell, I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you what happened. Um, do you remember that mayor from New Orleans who went to prison? He, I remember there's been a few DC, but not, not, well, there is his famous speech. I was, I was doing a segment on the show about don't, when Drew Brees got in trouble for his statements about the flag, what I said was the NFC South is too, it's too crazy right now. There's too many underlying factors. The teams are too good. I would bet if you have a hundred bucks on the Saints not to make the playoffs, because that's going to put 1800 in your pocket because everybody thinks they're going to make the playoffs. And Drew Brees just pissed off. What I said, I quoted that mayor. He said, New Orleans is a chocolate city and forever we have to maintain New Orleans as a chocolate city. So I thought that was an empowering statement. But what I learned is he got in trouble for that. He's a black man, but he got in trouble for that because people thought it was not racist, but just kind of like not. So I didn't know. So when I found that out, I felt really bad and I took the episode down. But that's the only mistake that I made. Good. I've made mistakes a few times with uh, the record button, believe it or not. What's that mean? I didn't hit record. Oh. Hours. <laughs> How disappointing is that? And I'm like, where is it? Where is it? The editing is always a, a pain. I can't wait till I get to the point where I can pass, pass that off and, and scale forward with the editing. Um, I remember last time I talked on your show. I was like, oh, it's going to be real easy. I'm not going to have to sit still here in my squeaky chair in front of the Zoom. I can just walk around with a microphone. And first thing I was hearing myself, where's my cardio? I'm like, <sighs> and I'm like ouch. And then, of course, uh, a great producer would be able to take that out in a snap. 
and and level that out. But I don't have that ability. You know, I'm I'm flying from the cuff, and uh, uh, can't wait. After the show, after the show, I'll help you. It's very easy on Audacity to fix that. Really easy. See, that's another thing. I've, I've messed with Audacity, and uh, I'm a Garage Band type guy, but uh, I hope to be as soon to be an outsource guy. It's <laughs> <Take this laughs> on my plate, please. It's I just like I, I, get, I could probably, you know, re-roof the roof, but it'd take me a, a couple months, right? A lot right. of work, but I could have a crew in from Valentine Roofing, and bam, you know, two days, perfect, because that's their skill set. Definitely. is not my skill set. Definitely. But I also like podcasting because you can be fallible. You don't have um, the finding that Howard Stern had to go through back in the day for any poor language. He changed the world, though. I mean, he he yeah, he, sure. he he went to war with the FCC and he won. That's something that you're told from fifth grade on. You never can beat the government in a lawsuit ever. But he did. It's amazing. And he's, he's a little serious. Serious FM, you know. Which you is- went to serious, yeah. That's a huge contract. Makes even back then. That was ten years ago. I think his contract's up right now. Howard Stern's is that was five hundred million. Joe five hundred million. Rogan is just getting a hundred million now. Ten years after that happened, so you gotta say he's one of the kingpin. And in the there's a few of the podcasting Hall of Fame in my book. One is the MTV VJ Alan. I don't know blonde hair feathered. He was one of the first guys that really introduced the software aspect of podcasting. Hmm. And there was Howard Stern, Adam Carolla. You know, those guys are definitely uh, pod fathers in my book. Well, he won't do it. Howard Stern won't do a podcast. He doesn't believe in it. He Howard Stern's philosophy is, and this is an outdated philosophy. I think he's been the king for so long. He doesn't really realize this. His philosophy is if you were a true broadcaster, you would get on the radio waves and test yourself on the market. He doesn't understand is it's a different day and age, and the market has changed. Market's way different. But he doesn't have to understand that because he's fucking Howard Stern. You know what I mean? And and um, he's a little corporate right now, to be honest with you. And there's some leaked videos of his doing meetings behind the scenes and talking about some things I don't like. But it, to this day, he is he is one of my heroes, and the way he captivates me, uh, nobody else can really do it. Uh, should I get back to the story though? Yeah, please. So Warren and I, we spent five years from. About twenty or six years, I, I would I would say, from twenty fourteen to twenty twenty, practicing doing podcasts but never releasing them, mm. and we learned a lot. We would we were at our radio station. We got permission to use the station after hours, so we would be there till one two in the morning on Friday and Saturday nights, just really trying to figure out how to be the best that we could be. That's one thing again to this about Warren that I'll, I'll never never I couldn't thank him enough. It's really hard to find somebody that shares your passion and your work ethic. And Warren, even though sometimes he didn't want to, he would always show up. All, if he made a commitment to something, he would always show up. So I appreciate that very, very much. Um, we spent six years doing the podcast practicing. And then when I had finished college and he had finished college, the stars aligned. And I said, listen, we got to lay this shit out. I'm ready to go. I had uh, dropped out of grad school at that point. I'd done well, but I was going to, if I kept going down that life, I probably would have killed myself if I had just hadn't seen what it was like to take a chance on myself. So after that, I was free. I called Warren. I said, let's do this fucking show, man. Let's do the show. Let's figure out what we should call it. I think West Coast Radio is a good idea. And that went on for about 40 episodes until Warren really got freaked out as our audience grew. 
Do you have any questions before I get into that story? I, I just got to give props to Warren in his radio voice. There's, there's very few voices on the radio or podcast that, that make your neck hairs kind of stand up a little bit and say, hey, he's got that voice for radio. You know, I have that face for radio. I just don't quite have the voice. Warren, in my eyes, he's excellent. He's really hard on himself. And you'll find that with a lot of broadcasters, I'm sure. And, and you and I, I'm sure we share that in, in some ways too. But Warren's real hard on himself. And also, before I tell the story, we have to keep in mind, he broadcasts to 50,000 people. He does a family show. And he does it really well. The uh, Good morning, everybody. It's so nice to see you. It's ready today. But I'm going to bring sunshine to your eyes. That, that's what he, that's, he's very good at it. By the way, kids, if you want to get into radio, don't fucking do it. Uh, you're going to make minimum wage forever until maybe you get a New York or Los Angeles show, and then you'll make forty-five grand a year. Uh, and that's you it. You get up at four in the morning. You have to get no, 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 no. It's but, you got to get up at like two thirty to be there at four. Um. Anyway, Warren, when our audience grew, it took about three months, and then all of a sudden one day we just had a consistent, a consistent audience. And is it huge? No, but it's sizable and it's consistent. It really scared him because he was thinking, man, not only is it something I could say that could get me in trouble, but now something that Matthew could say could get me in trouble. And when I was comfortable, I had no problem saying fucking anything. And I have my own line, but my line is not Warren's line. So yeah, I had a stark contrast to his. Mm, Warren, I think some of his friends may have gotten a little upset at some of the things I had said first, and I could kind of see the writing on the wall. And then we did a segment about the average dick size for 2020 and he really wasn't down for that. He really wasn't down for it. And we had to have a conversation about where he was. And he told me, Hey man, listen, I'm a little burnt out. You know, I it brought, I've been doing broadcasting for so long. I'm just a little burnt out. And to tell you the truth, all I can think about is the audience when we're talking about things like this. And right. all I can think about is not only audience members leaving because they're disgusted or something, but also, what if this affects my career? What if I want to have a wife and kids and all that stuff? What if I want to have a career at Microsoft? Because that's one of his goals too. He wants a, a manager corporate job. Um, he's not. He, he's not in. He's not do or die like I am, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it, it. Happened to that Asian comedian. They they pulled. They wanted to uh, kind of code speak and put an Asian on Saturday Night Live, and they had one hired. And then they went through the back catalog of his appearances on podcast and he said something off the cuff that was they deemed inappropriate and he lost that job like within 48 hours because council uh the council culture is real so let me say this warren and i the reason i'm sharing this is because i'm allowed to warren and i are still we're, we're wonderful friends nothing that ever happened between us on west coast radio would happen uh would affect us off the air my response to him was if anybody doesn't like it they can suck our asses and then Warren, at that point, he had made the decision. He said, you know what, Matthew? Uh, we're friends, and I'll still help you with the, the video stuff. I'll still be here every now and again, but you got to take this show. I, I can't do it. I, I just, you know, I got to be careful. And I have my parents, and I have my family, but this is everything to me. This is, it's eight hours a day. I'm giving everything. I've, I've got nothing. I, I'm, I'm giving all of myself to it. I've got nothing else. Warren's got other things. He's got a, he's got somebody he's committed to wonderfully. He's got things that he's chasing. He wants to be able to take care of his kids someday. I don't give a fuck about having children. 
So it's just a different mindset. And, and, and the only reason I say all this is because Warren and I are in a good spot and I don't blame them. It's just, it's just what happened. It is what it is. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you got to respect that. And you guys seem to uh, exude a good positive relationship, even though you have counterpoints and that's where politics need to come together as well. Like there we're the right and the left. There's more commonality down the middle but there's very little focus down the middle. It's always to the extreme right, it's extreme left, to the extent where, you know, it's hard to engage with my son with politics and, and even find out myself what, what's right, what's wrong, what's misleading, and what's factual. Um, tell me a little bit more about how you got into running. What made you decide? I, soccer, we're both soccer players. Running was my least favorite part of the sport. <laughs> How is it one of your favorite parts of the sport? Before we get into that, I'd like to comment on the political thing, if that's okay. Yeah, for sure. One of our major issues in the United States of America, I believe, is having prominent news sources. Well, they, tell, they say they're news sources that they run only off of advertising dollars. So, I mean, their business – I mean – major businesses that attract assassins who are kill for hire. So I'm willing to bet you a lot of money. Those same journalists who are working for Fox News, if they had gotten hired by MSNBC first, they would have taken that job. These are assassins. And we're in a situation where there's billions and billions and billions of dollars on the line to get people's eyes watching. And the way you do that is to scare the shit out of them, to make them angry, to shock them, to see what they're going to say next. And it becomes a vicious cycle. If you, if you're a hardcore conservative, you go to Fox News, and it's good business for them to make you more and more right wing, more and more right wing. Which is not even fucking right or left wing at this point. It's it's a weird just thing, is what you could call it. So you go, oh man, let me hear the echo chamber here. Now let me go to MSC, MSNBC to get pissed off, and now let me go back to the echo chamber, and then it's vice versa for the other way. It's horrible. And then our cultures, big city culture versus rural culture, we don't understand each other at all. It's different, and. I don't, I don't know what the solution is to that, but I did want to add on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, it, it's, it's painful. Uh, yeah, I just, I just want to stop right now. <laughs> it's just like you go to find the village that is your echo chamber. So yeah. CNN or Fox or America Online or whatever, QAnon, you know, you are constantly – put in a situation where people are confirming your beliefs or re- uh, what do you call it? Um, reaffirming any doubts you may have one way or another. Um, let's get into running though. Um, Greg Nance, former um, guest on the show has been running around Bainbridge Island every day and his goal this month, he, he he's an ultra marathoner is to run 3,000 miles this month for every day he's been sober. He's ran the shoreline in some shoes he's developed with some sticks, and it was over four hours yesterday. He's out there doing it right now as we speak. 3,000 miles in a month. Yeah. Man. Nuts. So he did um, seven seven 100-mile races, I think, on seven continents in seven days already. The I've heard about that. The rarity that he has done, he's done something that um, less people have done than land on the moon. So he's in rare air. So 
running by my house today and I, I went out on a bike ride and, and I got a little late here to this. Um, but I did 28 miles today and that was enough. Yes. Fathom what it's like to hit the concrete with your feet, you know, let alone a bike or a hundred miles. What drives well, you to run? When it, when it comes to marathon running real quick, it, it's really not the cardio that gets you, it's the impact. That's what you got to get used to. You got to get used to being able to absorb the impact. You're, you have to get to a point where your bones don't crack so much anymore after 18-mile training runs, you know, those little shin splints. That's the important thing. So what got me into running? Well, I live my life a little spiritual. So, you know, some of the science people on the show, they're, they're going to say, oh, fully. Well, shit, maybe it is off fully, but this is my story. When I had finished community college, the only school I could get into, my goal was Seattle U or UW, but the only school I could get into and that would be fully covered by my GI Bill was Colorado State University. And it was a real blessing to get that and Arizona State University. But I, to be honest with you, they're about the same level of academic goodness, and I could smoke weed in Colorado at the time. So I went to Colorado State. And I was trying to build my grades up so I could go back home to Seattle and as soon as I had gotten there, I go right back into that four, four year college is a different environment than community college. And I didn't feel at home anymore. And I wasn't interested in the party thing. I was really focused on just trying to get my degree so I could focus on doing this, what I'm doing now. And I told my parents, I'm not smart like this. I know I'm a smart person, but I'm not smart like this. I got to get on a fucking plane and come back home. I can't do this. I'm not a college guy. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not. And they said, you have to, you have to finish school, Matthew. Come on. And I said, I'm not smart like this. And I had a couple of those breakdowns. And one day, my dad, who had gotten his knee replaced, he said to me, Matthew, if you really can't do this, as soon as I heal up, I'll, I'll try to come get you. And what that meant was he was going to have to drive from Washington to Colorado, through Wyoming, through all these horrible mountain ranges that are icy and scary to come get me. And I guess that, that love hit my heart uh, because it gave me the strength to really do well in school. And this is leading up to the marathon. I'm not going off on, on a, a side road. Go ahead. So I promised to myself, I say, the promise is fail or not, I'm going to spend 30, day, 30 minutes every day in the library. And that's going to be my commitment. And I'll stick it out this semester. And maybe I'll be able to get, if I do well, I'll be able to get into a school in Seattle. And I'll just, I'll just figure this out with a support system close to home. So every day I stayed at the library for 30 minutes. But the thing is, once you get your foot in the door, it's a lot easier to stay for two hours if you have to. And that became prevalent really quickly. And every day I would spend time in the library. And before I knew it, I'm a perpetual 2.9 student, which means I, I came from, through the public school system. I never studied or anything like that. I showed up. My attention, I daydream too much to study. I got to be fucking moving, you know. And English 101 didn't really interest me that, that much. So I was always a bad student. And one day in Colorado State, the semester ends, I look up and I have a 3.58. And then a voice said in my head, if you can do that, you can run a fucking marathon. And if you can run a fucking marathon, you'll be immortal. It doesn't matter if you never do anything great in your life ever again. When people Google your name under whatever marathon you ran, they'll, they'll see you forever. That'll be one thing great that you did. And being great in this manner only takes putting one foot in front of the other. And that's been my motto. That's, that's, voice is telling me all this in the bottom of the library, Morgan Library, Colorado State University. And I thought, you know, I could put one foot in front of the other. I can fucking do that. And I want to be great. Maybe, maybe that's my first step to, to realize like, I could do anything. Because in my mind, running a marathon was something that great people did. That's something you see on TV. 
Less than 1% of people in the U.S. have ever run a marathon. So really for me, it wasn't about running. It was about the mentality that I could put one foot in front of the other. And if I could get a 3.58 in college, well, shit, I was, I, was, I was played soccer forever. I know how to deal with pain. I can do this. So four months later, I ran my first marathon. Uh, I was home. I got into Seattle University, which was a miracle for me. I still didn't get into fucking UW. Fuck you, UW. You don't take care of your in-state students. You want that international money. Well, enjoy it, bitch. Um, I hate you, Dub. They rejected me like three different times. And I'm telling you, you want to talk about the statistics? I'm Korean. And you want to talk about uh, affirmative action? I don't want to talk about whether that's good or bad, but it's a fact. If you're a Korean student, if you are a Korean student, it's much harder to get in versus being a white student, for instance. Because do you know how that works? Yeah. 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 Uh, you look at. Uh, there, there's I had 3.7 at one point. In Harvard now. Because yeah. Uh, the affirmative action laws and such. It's fucked, man. So that's how I be, uh, started running a marathon. And then after I ran my first, I was like, shit, well, you know, I did better than a lot of people. Maybe I can maybe run for Boston someday because mm. if if I could run a marathon, I put another year into it. Well, the Boston Marathon, not only is that the 1% of the country, that's 1% of the 1% of the country. Well, that's real great shit. So the next year, I had run 45 minutes quicker than I did the first time. I ran a 3.43, and that was only 43 minutes away from a Boston time. Is the Boston Marathon more hilly or something? Is, is that like yeah. difficult? To run it, no, to qualify for the Boston Marathon, you have to run oh, under three hours. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And you did that? No, not yet. It's, cool. it's really fucking hard. Yeah. My journey started my journey started three years ago. So at this point I can run a marathon. I can I think I can qualify. I'm gonna run it in June. It's a downhill marathon in Mount Hood. And you go slightly downhill the whole way. I can run the Boston qualify time qualifying time for that race. I can't do it flat yet. Flat on my best day, maybe seven thirty pace, which would be three hours and twenty minutes or something like that. Wow. Mm. So you're a young buck. Twenty five. Yeah. Flip that fifty three here, bro. <laughs> but your your time would be different. Ah, I'm at. It'd be easier for you to qualify. Yeah. yeah. Do they have electric running shoes? <laughs> Not quite. Let's get into uh, some of the things that you love about the West Coast. Number one, what's the best thing about the West Coast? I would say diversity. I notice a lot, and you can find that in New York and Boston, I'm sure, but. I'm Asian, again, like I said, and I, I like having all these different Asian environments around me, all these different Asian foods that you can eat from all different parts of Asia. I really enjoy that type of stuff. So maybe I would say you can find diversity in a lot of places, the Asian influence in, in this part of the West Coast yes, and in so places like San Francisco. I appreciate that a lot. Uh, laid back weed culture, I appreciate. Mm, I appreciate the freedom. A lot of people came here because the rules of the new of the new east boston new york and all that shit they they were even too constricting for them so they came out here i think you get a lot of free people that way as well and the beautiful scenery and weed gotcha. <laughs> you're doubling down on the weed every every comment i love it um favorite korean restaurant in seattle do you have one no it's not you you won't find them in seattle you'll find it in federal way and you'll find it in south tacoma so as my grandma says seattle korean restaurants that's white people korean stuff and the reason for that is this because you have a large they're not really exposed to korean food the population in seattle most people 
uh, you, well, actually, a better way to explain it is this. In South Tacoma way and in federal way, you still have a lot of the first generation individuals making the food. But in, in Seattle, the food has to be hip and it has to be attractive. So you get a lot of Korean fusion and you have a lot of like the grandsons or the grandchildren making the food. And that higher, shit is not for me. Yeah, higher end stuff as opposed to out the alleyway, little window of a mom and pop stuff that's been doing it for great, great long. It's got to be hole in the wall. Got to be. Yeah. Um, Rainier Valley, I think there's a few spots you can check out. Sure. Um, Seattle U, where was your go, go to uh, college food there? What was your cheap spot there? I know Nate Robinson has the, the Wings and Waffle House not too far away. Um, it's funny you bring that up. Oh man, that was my. That, if I ever needed a solid post-workout meal, there was only two places I was going to go. It was either that spot or Chipotle because you get four huge like spot. I would get spicy chicken tenders and the waffle fries. Those are hot. And, oh man, they were so good, so good and spicy. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, um, he's fighting Jake Paul this month. Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson is fighting Jake Paul or the other Paul brother. In that, in, uh, the undercard for, uh, I think, Tyson Roy Jones Jr. Uh, he's going to fuck that dude up. <laughs> I'm trying, I've am trying. i been trying to get a hold of Nate for a while now and have him talk. But I've been seeing his uh, training videos, and he's totally serious about it. I'm going to go from NBA dunk champ to uh, kicking some ass in, in the boxing ring. It's, it's wonderful when somebody exciting. stays home. Yeah, for sure. His his kids playing now. I think his kids in ninth grade looks just like him. I don't oh yeah. Know. And I grew up watching his dad, Jacques Robinson, be a UW legend in in football. And Nate, okay, Nate was a great NFL player. And after NBA quit, Pete Carroll gave him a tryout with the Seahawks as well as a DB. Oh, is that true? Yeah, he's no joke as an athlete for sure. And now he's oh my goodness. Now he's going into the fighting, and that's a guy that. You know, has played all over the world, like 13 NBA teams, won the dunk contest a few times. He's always looking for another challenge. Love that. Oh, it's phenomenal. A lot of great players um, down from the Valley there, Franklin, Garfield, uh, Rainier Beach, that are still playing in the NBA. Great basketball players. It's a great weekend. If you ever go to the, um, I don't know what it's called, but the state championship tournament for Washington State High School, yeah, it's it's a – intense i mean it's you want to talk about future nba talent future division one talent you'll find it there yeah for sure we got some ballers out here some great schools for athletics athletics mm-hmm. are definitely going to change seeing that uh, the pac-12 has shut down football and you know I, I just got word that they're trying to do youth soccer september 29th we downgraded the risk so now it's a playable sport like tennis which is blows my mind because everybody's sweating running and there's physicality in the game. Yeah. And you're not going to put youth kids in a bubble like the NBA. Right. Right. Hey, real quick, I want to give a shout out to one more restaurant, Fan Brothers on Broadway in Capitol Hill. Fan Brothers was my spot, nine ninety five for a, a large bowl of pho. They took care of me. You never have to wait for anything like that. They'll be taking your order two minutes in. You get what the fuck you want. Five minutes later, then you get out as soon as – I mean – Beautiful fuck, Dan Brothers. Um, and, and shout out to Tweez where I had that same dish yesterday. Wonderful. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with sports. I don't know what the right answer is either, to be honest with you, because these kids most likely, especially with soccer, where you don't have some linemen or if you go to a doctor's office, some linemen in football is obese. But soccer players, not obese. They're really not. 
they're, they're not going to die, but also you have to take into account the lung scarring. If you're a soccer player and you get coronavirus, your lungs could be scarred permanently. So you're right. I don't know what's going on. And you know what? The other thing is this, though. Even Jay Inslee, he's just a kid inside. Nobody knows what the fuck to do, I guess. Nobody's seen this before. Yeah, well, I know this. I know that my son has to get certain vaccinations to go to school every year. And now we don't have a vaccine for the coronavirus, but yet they're pushing these kids to go to school and trying to take away the funding because, you know, major universities could be bankrupt. The school system is already constantly just hanging on by a thread. Um, I think it's ridiculous that kids go back to school, um, but they have to have these vaccinations of epidemics past, but not for the very heightened ass kicking pandemic that we're currently in. It just blows me away that it's even an argument. How did the rules all of a sudden change? Have you thought about what's going to happen in private schools? You you want to, you send your kid to a private school and you know, right now let's say you're struggling for money. Maybe your, your husband or wife got laid off. You guys are putting pinching pennies together. Mm-hmm. Is it now you're going to make this? Why am I paying you know x amount of money every month to send my kid to private school when it's all online anyway? You know yeah, what I mean. I think it's what's going to happen there? Difficult to learn online, and and private schools the class sizes are much smaller. So the social distancing, spacing, and the time with the teachers, and the the ability just from you know, there's a middle school here on the island. It's like two hundred thousand dollars for two grades. No. I'm sure they got um, money packed away and they could definitely make it a very safe environment and have kids all return there. It's $200,000 for two years. Yeah. A little nuts. I mean, you got to be shipping all the kids to Ivy leagues, right? That would be the only thing. It's more of a hippie school that uh, allows science and arts to flourish and that um, there's no grades. It's just a group of kids. There's a million ways to make a million bucks. There really is. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's talk. Um, there's two things I want to get to, but before I get to that, best West Coast music. Go. Best West Coast music. Hmm. Who are the people we need to shout out besides Mix-A-Lot from Seattle, Kenny G? Oh, like musicians that I feature. Okay, okay. Well, just well, I'll tell you what you, you think have high influence in, in Seattle and on the West Coast, like Macklemore, um, you know, Snoop in L.A. and all that good stuff. Hmm. Well, here's some here's somebody that really interests me. This this person is a just fascinating character to me. His name is Raz Simmons. Does that ring a bell to you? No. Nope. So Raz Simmons. <laughs> He is the unnamed leader of the Chop Chaz movement. So, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Guy passing out guns to white boys. But here's what's interesting about this guy. Again, you, you talk about Nate Robinson, who, who found success in his life, and he stayed home. Right. So I hear this name. I think it's Raz Simone, something like that. But I hear this name, and I look him up, and I expect somebody who is really angry, just you know, really powerful. I don't want to use the word militant, but just really blah, blah, blah. But this person, incredibly – Incredibly, I don't want, I'm not talking about any of that at this point. I'm just talking about this person is a successful musician at about half a million views per music video. This person stayed home after he found success. 
-hmm. In this person's music videos, you see children from the local elementary schools. You see people from the local businesses. He's driving around the central district in Seattle. Can you still see me? Oh, shit. Okay. This is somebody with a lot to lose. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he's got everything on the line. And still, he believed in the Chop Chaz movement or not, or enough. By the way, I kind of like his music. It's pretty good. He believed in the Chop Chaz movement enough to be filming himself, opening up his Tesla trunk, saying, if you're over 18, who's got some fucking guns? Who wants, who wants a fucking gun? Mm-hmm. That's a complicated cat. And you can't, you can't call him a straight-up villain. You can't call him a terrorist. You can't call him like some people are trying to. You can't, you can't call him a lot of things. you got to call him complicated. And so that's one person from our area, the West Coast, that I'm, I've been thinking about a lot lately. I, I just wish he would have stayed with on message and in Chop and Chaz during the autonomous zone. It seemed like leadership got pushed out from Black Lives Matter pretty quick, and it just became a shit show. Did you visit at all? No, I can't. I got you know, my my father's fifty six. My mom's in her fifties. My grandma's seventy two. Uh, I, I I support the movement a hundred percent, but I also I don't have any shame in saying it's just too, it's too much. It's too much. Uh, I, I, I could never live with myself if I came home and I was shoulder to shoulder protesting that my mom got sick the next day. Right. Um, and, and I also think that this, this fight's not going to end with this chop chaff movement for me. I'm going to be volunteering forever. You know, this, this movement. So I feel at peace with my decision. And I understand that some people will be upset at me. But when your family's on the line, it's just a tough decision to make. And if I err on the side of fear, I'm not necessarily ashamed of that in this way. No, um, got skin in the game for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I also want to. I want to run you by this idea of chop chats that I've been thinking about for a while too. Shoot. Why did it happen in Capitol Hill, where we still have cherished small businesses and things like that? Why wouldn't chop chats? If you want to hurt Seattle, go downtown where Nike and Rolex and all these big businesses are. If you were to figure out to, a way to occupy that space, I feel like that would create an intense intense impact but these small businesses it's you have to be really careful because they're getting offers from private equity firms and people saying hey we want to put up a condo here let us just buy you out and that way we'll be able to you know what i'm saying so i think the strategic move of going to capitol hill was really dangerous for what make for seattle's individuality i got a counterpoint to that okay Uh, yeah it's tragic that small businesses are going to just get bought up by the rich people in the, in the end and that so many places got shuttered. I think downtown is one thing, but I think why Capitol Hill is you have central community college up there. You have Seattle U, you have um, three high schools, you have university of Washington. The, the people that protest are pretty much youth based. that don't have kids or elderly people in that any skin in the game that would bring home consequences. They are, they're also, trying to find their voice and be heard in a lot of ways. The movement wasn't against corporate, against Nike and Rolex and places like that. It was against the police and the, the constant inadequacy of Seattle Police Department. And you see it. I mean, police are quitting left and right, and Police Chief Carmen Best, I, I, I feel like the woke white Seattle lights, you know, took a, a woman of color out of power, you know, and defunded her salary. And she was already in a difficult, difficult job made by the mayor and the city council. Mm. And, you know, we, we got to think about 
the consequences. Yeah, we could go um, right in front of corporate America and stuff, but the basic necessity was more community centers and more outreach and more de-escalation um, training for police, less profiling. Um, if you had a shop, a small shop like that, like an, an Indian restaurant or whatever, and somebody stuck you up or a little uh, mini mart up there, the police response was non-existent, you know? Mm. And, and now it's like, why are we paying, paying all these taxes when I can't open my business? I can't get the cops to come. Um, there was a lot of issues. And I think there's a lot more issues to be sorted out. And defunding the police is not a good term. I think reallocating sources, you know, and, and training is, is a better way to go. And I think kids get lost. And I'm saying kids is like 18 to 24 range. They get lost in the message a bit and they kind of forget what they're doing. And the white kids, they, they don't loot, they hoard, they got shit. They don't need to be breaking windows and stuff like that. Um, it's just a messy, messy situation and it's not going to get better soon. Mm. That's my counterpoint. I, I hear what you're saying though. Well, your counterpoint makes a lot of sense. And, um, it's changed my point a little bit too. That's why we have these conversations because I have, I've, I've been helped to get a more well-rounded view. I understand that you, there's a, a wonderful gathering of all these different colleges, all these different community centers. I understand that. Yeah, definitely. Last two things I want to get on. Um, you're a football fan. I want to talk about football and sports gambling a little bit. And then, uh, you owe me a ghost story. Yes. I'm very excited for both. Um, okay, all, so who's your favorite football team? Straight up, Michigan Wolverines. To the day I die, I got a baby picture of it and everything. If you want to use the baby picture for uh, one of your Instagram posts about this, I'll send it to you. Nice, yeah, do. Um, I grew up Seahawks and Mariners in the Kingdom, uh, new franchises, and that was my introduction to sports. It, I think it became the NASL. Pele came. I went to a Sounders game in the kingdom. Then the Seahawks were there and then the Mariners there with Julio Cruz and Largent and Zorn catching balls. So I've definitely been a 206 supporter, Emerald city green guy forever, but uh, Michigan. Yeah. They were always the UW Rose bowl appoint, opponents for a long, I know. long time. And then Jim Harbaugh was a great coach in Michigan and then he became the 49ers coach. And then there was that rivalry when Kaepernick was there. So, Well, he that. was a great, he was a great quarterback in Michigan. He didn't coach until after the 49ers. Right. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of um, there. good team. Michigan football specifically, but the university of Michigan is my home because we moved around so much and I never had a place where I felt this is where I want to set my foundations forever. I love Seattle very much, but I still don't feel like I found my true home. And the placeholder will, and maybe it'll never change. It, maybe it's not a placeholder. Maybe it's permanent. But Michigan and Michigan football is my home. So that that's what I identify with, and that's why Tom Brady's one of my heroes too. I love Tom Brady so much. But didn't he <laughs> always have any uh, Greasy's backup for a long time? Did he play one season at Michigan or what? Yeah, he played. He he was on the roster for. He was there for five years. He climbed all the way up. He was like the ninth quarterback when he was a freshman made it all the way. Um, and then he got to his senior year, but when he 
played his senior year, he was the starter. Yes. However, this once in a generational talent, Michigan thought named Drew Henson came in and the fans wanted to see that generational talent. So he had the split time mm-hmm. and, uh, he still credits that to his day is giving him chip on his shoulder. The, the fact that you can never let up just a little bit. You always have to push. Otherwise somebody could come and take your spot. So he's my hero. He's one of them for sure. Guys that started ahead of him in his earlier time there became backup to him at new England one year. Oh yeah. There's a couple of those stories mm-hmm, for sure. What got me into gambling was, what the fuck? I mean, there's really no big story other than it's fun. It's a lot of fun. If you're a big football fan. How do you do it in Washington? Isn't it football gambling illegal in Washington State still? You got to get a VPN. Which is what? A VPN is a virtual private network. So it'll take your IP address and it'll move it to Italy or it'll move it to Iowa. And that's something actually a, a lot of people are sponsoring podcasts that do VPNs. Um, it's going to be really important for cybersecurity moving forward. So I would recommend it to all of your listeners. You should get a VPN to keep yourself safe. Interesting. And gamble and gamble on football. It's just a lot of fun. And I stick to three main types of gambling. So you're going to do over-unders. And for listeners, that just means Vegas thinks, hey, the New England and Seattle are going to score 16 and a half points. So you say, oh, I think – that's going to be over. I think they'll score 61 or more. Well, if you bet on the over and they score 61 or more, you're correct. So that's an over-under. Then you can bet outright. I think the Patriots are going to beat the Seahawks. Or you could bet on something called a money line. So Vegas could say, you know what? I think the New England Patriots are not that great this year. I'm pretty sure they're going to lose to the Seahawks. So let's give them a handicap. Before the game even starts, we're going to say it's negative seven with the New England Patriots to zero. So you have to guess, even with that handicap, do I think New England's going to win or lose? And that's the third type of betting. That's called a money line. And money line that's a big part. Huh? Does money line pay out the most? It, 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 really, just, it really just depends on, really, you're going you're gonna to get paid the most money on any type of underdog situation. So if you see a bet and you go, there's no chance that's going to happen, you'll make more money. And the more you feel that way, the more money you'll make. So the other two bets are straight bets, and this could be two to one or <coughs> something like that. Yeah, so let's say you and I were playing one-on-one soccer. You have so much more experience than I do. You you have better soccer knowledge. So right out the gate, before we even start playing, it's going to be – Vegas is going to give me three goals before we even start playing. So it's going to be zero to three just because they don't think I'm going to win. So to, to keep money on both sides, to keep people interested and in putting money on both sides of the line, they have it that way. Yeah, I, I've only bet horses, and that's – you got uh... – parlays and trifectas and multiple races that you bet in and the more complicated the bet gets the higher payout for sure well if somebody wants to win a shit ton of money betting this year there are two teams i don't remember which ones they are but they will take on the bird gauntlet the bird gauntlet is a parlay where a team and it only happens once every like eight years this is very rare and it's i love it. it's very exciting a team will have the opportunity to play all the bird teams in the nfl and no team has ever won the bird gauntlet, which means they defeated all the birds. But if you were to bet on that parlay, you, I mean, you'll make, if you put $100 down, something like eight grand. you will make a shit ton. Yeah, that's, that's a parlay. Then. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the bird teams are all my favorites. Yeah, I know. And it, it, it would be a tremendously difficult challenge. I don't think it'll happen this year, but could. Um, let's get on this ghost story and uh, get ghost ourselves. Okay. Matthew from West Coast Radio. 
Uh, I want to also thank you so much for having me. I really, I'm having a lot of fun. I really am having a really good time, and this is my first ever time joining somebody else's show. So thank you very much. Yeah, I'd love to have you as a guest. Thank you. So the only caveat that I'll say to this story, I'll say two. Number one, some of the things I'm going to say you can't describe with the human language. This was not like a worldly thing. So I'm going to do the best I can, but and I'll give you warning, I can't describe it with the human language. Number two, in my fam, my, my hominy, as Korean for grandma, she always said growing up that if you say I hate you to a family member, you invite some, you invite sort of like evil into your life. That's an invitation for something to come find you. Because if you look at somebody that you love very much, like your mom or your hominy or something like that, and you say, I hate you, that's an evil thing to do because of the love that's, that's there. So if you do that, you got to be careful because something could come. She would always tell us that growing up. Huh? No hate in this house. So we're safe. Right. I had a brand new puppy. I was 15 years old. And and by the way, everybody, I'm, I'm past the age where you would find out whether or not you have schizophrenia. So it's not that as we move on from the story. I'm, I'm 25. It's already been figured out. <laughs> My dog wakes me up in the middle of the night. He was about three months old. So... Apollo had not even made any sound at this point. He's a tiny little poodle, chihuahua mix puppy. He had never even made a peep. And I'm get, I get woken up by the vibration and sound of him growling. And he goes from a growl to a, a, like a canine or, or a um, German Shepherd snarl. It's really aggressive. Now I'm awake. I'm looking at him, and he's leaping at the end of my bed. Bah, 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 leaping, and he sounds, again, not like a little puppy. sounds like a full-grown dog, mean. I mean, he's giving everything, but he won't jump off my bed. Now that I'm awake, I look up at him, I pick him up, I console him, and I see at the end of my bed, at the end of my room, there's a figure standing in front of me. It's, it looks like humanoid, very much humanoid. And I remember it was wearing very baggy clothing. So if you look up a samurai robe, it looked exactly like that, but it was, it was cut off at the sleeve. So it was really baggy, but it was cut off here and at the shin level. I can make out sunken eye sockets. I could make out cheekbones. I could make out where the ears went, and I could make out the hands and the feet. It was very skinny, very slender. It was gorgeous. It was so beautiful. It was really, really – I mean, I was scared shitless. Yes, I was very scared, but I didn't feel like I was in danger for my life or anything. Sometimes you see on Ghost Adventures, you'll, you'll smell a rotten smell before a demon comes and kills you. It wasn't like that. So I'm looking up at this thing, and – when the color of it was black, but it wasn't like looking at solid black, not at all. It was if tonight, when it goes to nighttime, look up at the night sky and it'll have sort of like an endlessness to it. Like it's almost like gaseous. That's exactly what this thing looked like. It was like you're looking up at the night sky. And then oozing out of it was this again, it's sort of like gas. And this is a part that I can't describe with the human language, but the best I can do is purple and black or purple blue. It's like this, this gas coming out of. Out, it was outlining it, so coming out of all of this stuff. Again, purple and blue is not the color, but that's the best I can do with the English language. It was, it was something more than that, and it was absolutely perplexing. So I'm really, really, really scared. I'm really scared, but also I'm helpless to it because I'm marveling at something that I'm, I'm like, this is this, – it's unprocessable, my friend, unprocessable. And I am also taking note, but I can't pay attention anymore, that my dog is fucking snarling and he's going nuts. And I'm holding him. And as I look at this thing, it, walk, it walks towards me. So I'll try my best to 
can't describe it with the human language, but the way it was walking was like on a cloud. It was, it was gliding. It wasn't making human walks, like making impact with the ground. It was walking, but at the same time, it was exaggerating all of its movements. One foot in front of the other, very slow, like this. But I can't do it justice. It was so beautiful. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. That's the most beautiful thing in this whole conversation. I'll never forget the way it walked towards me. You, it was not a human capability. God, it was beautiful. So it comes up to me. And my dog just gets worse and worse and worse. And then it goes like this. And it just looks into my soul. It looks at me. And I go, Mom, why are you trying to scare me? And looking back on it, I know why I did this now. Because I had looked up. There's this FBI video where they talk about FBI hostage uh, tactics. And there are three things people do when they think they're in a scary situation. You fly, you fight, or you make friends. So now I know why I did that. I had said, Mom, why are you trying to scare me? And it didn't answer. I said, Michael, which is my brother's name, why are you trying to scare me? It didn't answer. And so now in my head, I'm going, it's panic time. I need to do something because I'm really scared and it's it's right in front of me. I close my eyes. I sprint to my light switch. I turn my light on. It's not there anymore. And I want to also point out, you know, in the movies, how when you see a ghost, you'll blink and it disappears. Okay. It's, it wasn't, you know, in a movie, like in the first ghost scene, a ghost will flash by the, the, the screen and then you won't see it. It'll be very, very quick. That's not what this was like. This is you blink. Like I'm looking at you. I was looking at this thing. It, it doesn't go away. When I turned the light switch, it had gone away. I turned the TV on and my brain, not because I was in danger, but because of the adrenaline dump and the shock being relieved. I, I was crying because I didn't know what to do with the energy. And I just started crying for like an hour. And uh, I consoled my dog. I watched TV for the rest of the night, and that was it. Nothing ever weird had ever happened since. Do you have any idea what may have put your mind in that mindset prior to the coming? Yeah, I think that the only thing I can think of is when I said I hate you, I think because my grandma had set that criteria. I don't think saying I hate you invites a demon into your life, but when you set a criteria for this is crossing the line, Gotcha. There are voices listening to that if you believe in that type of thing. And I think that I had crossed the line and something good had come to say, don't do that because it wasn't evil. I think you know, the more I talk about it, the more I'm very sure I never had a sick feeling. I was just scared shitless because this thing didn't belong. Um, and I'll never forget it. Nothing like that had ever happened since, but I had also never said to anybody that I hate them if I love them very much. I also got my ass out of that bedroom that very day. The next day, I, w- I never slept in that room again. <laughs> Well, Matthew from West Coast Radio, please tell everybody how they can get your podcast, um, your radio show, and your social media. Well, I want to be a part of your community. That's what I want to say to your guests, and I think there's plenty of room for me and Tim in your life. I think uh, I, I know that I want to be a part of your community, and if you're interested in what I have to offer, please check us me out at uh, check me out at West Coast Radio underscore on Instagram. You'll find links to all of my shows in the bio description there. Uh, you can find me on Apple, Spotify, wherever you like to listen to your podcast, you'll find me, West Coast Radio, and you'll find a homeless dude who's really in good shape. He's walking away from you. That's uh, that's my show. So again, you know, I just, uh, I invite you, come one, come all. Nobody's too good for my show. Awesome. Or not good enough, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to Bainbridge Strong, who is now making the Bystander Podcast Coffee. You can buy coffee at BainbridgeStrong.com. 
at $15 a whack, $5 goes straight, straight to the show. Please support, um, creators like Matthew and myself. And we all know that you need coffee. So please check out West Coast Radio. Pet owners assume the meat used for pet food is a good thing. But did you know it makes use of the scraps that humans would never eat? The problematic aspect of the pet food industry is the rendered animal material. Animal parts that the Food and Drug Administration considers unsafe for human consumption. This rendered meat falls under the four Ds. The food is sourced from animals classified as dead, down, dying, or diseased. And since you're likely feeding your dog the same thing every day, your pet is being exposed to this unhealthy food at every meal. The ingredients used in today's dog foods would shock most pet owners. The Clean Label Project is an organization that tested pet food to find out what's really in it. The group analyzed 80 brands and discovered dangerous amounts of toxic chemicals like lead and mercury. And if you're feeding your dog an animal-based diet, your puppy is ingesting the hormones and antibiotics that farm animals are injected with too not to mention the bacteria, parasites, and growth hormones that have been associated with raising livestock. Although using decomposed animal tissue for pet food is a violation of the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, the FDA Center for Veterinary Medicine publicly admits that it's rarely enforced. Popular pet website Dog Food Advisor has reported over 180 dog food recalls since 2009, and the major recalls were related to bacterial contaminants for meat sources. There is no way to truly verify what is in these pet foods. There are currently nine terms used to classify meat, three of which do not need to disclose the animal species it's sourced from. Your dog could easily be eating diseased goat or pig flesh. A research team at Chapman University analyzed 52 commercial pet foods in 2015 and found that 40% of the products tested contain mislabeled meat products. The FDA states that pet foods labeled as premium or gourmet do not need to contain higher quality ingredients either. Well, what can you feed your pet then? Dogs can thrive on a plant-based diet thanks to fermented fungi protein like yeast and koji. Koji is a fungus that has been used in Asian cultures for centuries, and it's known for its prebiotic health benefits. Humans use it to make soy sauce, miso, and rice vinegar. Cruelty-free pet food company Wild Earth is fermenting koji and yeast protein in a sustainable three-day process and turning it into dog food that contains all 10 essential amino acids needed for your dog's health. Dogs don't need to consume unnaturally large-bred animals to get the nutrients they need. Yeast protein provides 49% protein by weight, whereas steak only provides 24%. And fungi's low-carbon footprint makes it better for the earth, too. Your pet counts on you to make the best choice when it comes to food. Make it the right choice.